I'm Phil. I'm Jamie. I'm Bob. I'm Matt. And, and this, this is Comicverse. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Comicsverse podcast. I'm your host, managing editor, Ms. Jamie Rice. And as always, I am joined by a lovely panel of Comicsverse employees and interns. So today, the subject of our podcast is going to be guilty pleasures. And we have gotten everyone in attendance to pick one of their own guilty pleasures, except for our lovely outsider who is going to weather the storm with us. Our lineup today is Sunstone, Gem and the Holograms, All-Star Batman and Robin Boy Wonder, and Archie versus Predator. And before I introduce everyone, I would like to remind you all that you can obviously find us at comicsverse.com. So the first person I'm going to introduce is the illustrious Bob Franco. Bob is an intern turned contributor, and his pick was All-Star Batman and Robin, which makes me terrified of him. How are you, Bob? I'm fine. So I pretty much just picked this book because, well, I didn't consider what I usually like to be a guilty pleasure, so I had to find one. And then I just, I saw this on one of those dumb listicle things. It was like, how Batman's an asshole. And this comic kept popping up. So I was just like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And it's just pure ridiculousness and slaps and dirt man and slap boy. That's what it Bob, is. Bob, you're really excellent at describing the kind of things you love. It's very I like little. that you love things that describe Batman as an asshole. And this one he is. And generally, he, start, he seems to enjoy murdering people. So that's a fun thing we can talk about later. Absolutely. So next we have Tim O'Reilly and this is his first ever podcast. So everyone congratulate Wee. Tim on that. Wee -wee. Uh, and Tim, All right. and, and Tim did not pick a book. So Tim is our outsider. So hello, Tim. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I came in a little late and I thought I'll just stick with the books we have. I knew two of them and I thought this is going to be good already. Why add something else to the mix? Which two of them? I knew Sunstone. I read the first part of it and then I'd read one third of the Batman Robin. And so I was like, this is already off to a great start. That's great. We really, we really know how to pick them. I think our next, <laughs> our next contributor is Phil Casey, who usually writes about Superman for us, but instead today he suggested the terrifying Archie versus Predator. How are you, Phil? I'm good. And boy, was that a doozy. <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it, right? It's a horrifying crossover between the kids of Riverdale <laughs> and a teenage Predator. <laughs> And the book features lots of violence, a gratuitous amount, and it is really horrifying, including the ending. We'll talk about that more later. <laughs> but uh, It's just upsetting. I did not choose, I had not read it beforehand. I chose it feeling like we should probably have an Archie book on here. <laughs> I don't think this qualifies as a prototypical Archie book, though. <laughs> so, yeah. No. I know you all no, loved it. No, it does not. It was awesome. It was my first Archie. I will say for anyone... Oh, yeah. So for, I've read the for anyone who maybe enjoys like the modern day Fiona Staples version. This is like literally the complete opposite version of that. <laughs> but everything you always wanted. <laughs> everything you ever wondered. If you ever like, what if this was really gross and scary? That's what this book is. Story of my life. And like a zero to 100 when it comes to like action, like nothing happens and everything happens in one second. Oh, man, I'm so excited to talk about this book later because there's a lot to talk about. In general, I think every book has like a, a degree of, of there's a lot to talk about you know what i mean i i do i know exactly what you mean but we're not going to talk about that now because i have to introduce matt so we have matt 
Matt Murphy, the illustrious Matt Murphy, and he suggested Sunstone today. And actually, it's funny that Matt suggested Sunstone, but the book that Matt and I both like is Gem and the Holograms, and that was my pick. And that is the reason why we're doing the podcast, because Justin was tired of listening to us talk about it all the time. So how are you, Matt? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Let me talk about how I got introduced to Sunstone. I saw it online, and I was like, oh. I'm interested in BDSM. Let me go get it. But at the time I was working at Midtown and I was like, oh, wait, they all know me in the store. So I woke up early one Wednesday morning and went in at 8 a.m. and bought it from cashiers I didn't know and wouldn't recognize me. And I fell in love ever since. I think that's the ultimate definition of a guilty pleasure. Like you literally felt too guilty. Yeah, I felt too guilty to buy it in front of people I know. But now I have my local comic shop owner order it for me. And every time he looks at me when I order it, he gives me a very, very upset face. And not just that. Now you're going to talk about it on a podcast for many people to listen to. (laughs) It's also funny because I recently uh, got in contact with the creator of it on a BDSM message board. Comics first listeners, this is me. Unfortunately, you're going to get a lot of Twitter followers. Oh, I hope so. So for our first segment, we're going to talk about Sunstone because I decided to order them from least crazy to most crazy. And weirdly enough, Sunstone was the one that came out as least crazy to me. So, Matt, would you like to give an explanation of at least the plot? And then you don't have to necessarily tell us again how you came to this book. But I do think it's funny enough to tell again. All right. Well, I found this book. Image and Top Cow put out a press release for the book. And I first saw it on Bleeding Cool. I was like, oh, well, I'm interested in this. And I picked it up and it's uh, written. And the art is by, let me see if I pronounce this right, Stepan Sejic. And it's very, I don't know. He'll probably, if he hears this, he'll probably correct us. But uh, it follows the relationship of Ali and Lisa. They're two young women starting a BDSM lesbian relationship. And Ali is the dom and Lisa is the sub. And they meet on a message board and hijinks start from there. Wow, that was really tame. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that really didn't get into the, the fun part. And what, what part is that? The sex. The conversations. Oh my and God, the they're so cute. And also something. Um, so wait. They're also new <laughs> to the, 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 no, the whole ahead. whatever, the, this fetish. They're both beginners in it, if you will. BDSM for beginners. Yeah, so it's also a self-help book for anybody. Do you have that book? <laughs> yes, it's on my shelf. I feel like we need to make a suggestion to Amazon be like, you should put this in graphic novels as well as self-help. I feel like it could be included in some bundle deals like on Amazon. <laughs> People who bought this so, recently purchased this. Recently purchased. Uh, exactly. I'm not gonna so can everyone tell me in a few words what their first reaction was to this book? Okay. Well, I was actually, I already knew it was going to be racy, but I was on the commuter train. And by the second one, I already saw somebody getting penetrated and I was like up oh, there's kids all around I'm like time to put this away but I mean generally the book did not shock me too much like you said I think I agree with you it's definitely the least it's like the tamest of them all and it's the one that upset me the least you know I, I disagree with that I, I think it was the second most tame I, I think Jem was actually the most tame even though it builds itself as truly truly outrageous I think it was the most ta- uh, the most tame. Uh, <laughs> I thought... He feels disappointed. He's like, that wasn't outrageous. They were just having hair that was six feet tall. <laughs> Long, beautiful hair. Anyway, that's a copyright <laughs> problem. <laughs> <laughs> I thought... I thought... It, I, no, it was pretty tame. Like, the, the most outlandish aspect is, like, the alternative sexuality, right? But for the most part, it was definitely trying to normalize that, right? So, I mean, and it obviously did a really good job of that. 
and it was just characterizing two people who, you know, have just a different form of sexuality and uh, imperfect boobs. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> Those boobs don't exist in real life. You've you've said a lot of things I wanted you I to wanted elaborate some, on. Well, I just wanted some realistic boobs, and it's putting boobs on a pedestal that does not exist. You've said. <laughs> well, I will say that the bodies and the sex in general, I think, exist on a plane that does not exist. Like, if I could have sex that that was was that good, I would not do other things. Like, <laughs> the level of enjoyment they have of that experience is very high. True. Very true. I also like how it doesn't necessarily fetishize it either. It kind of talks about, like, they, they talk about how this is, like, something that they've been interested in since, like, they were teenagers, but they couldn't really explore, right? So, you know... Like I said, it kind of normalizes something that's definitely on the fringe of sexuality. They call it sexual nerd sex or whatever, technically, right? That's what they call it, the characters. Let's ask our expert. Yeah. yeah. Matt? Yes. The Thank answer you. is yes. <laughs> Tim and Jamie, what did you guys think? Well, I had a couple experiences with it because it was, it was a little complicated for me to get started reading it because I knew already going into this what the book was about. So I was like, well, I have to pick the right venue. Well, being a moron, I picked the wrong venue first, which was my library. So I had my laptop open there. And so I had the librarians walking by and one of them told me I couldn't read that there because they thought I was reading an erotic novel. <laughs> and your second venue was a church, it was, right? It was hilarious. And I had to explain to her, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm this I'm getting no pleasure from this whatsoever. I'm serious. This is not this is not my type of book, really. <laughs> this was an assignment. And of course that probably made it worse because then she was wondering why I was assigned this book. She was disappointed. So I left and then I went back home to read it and then I don't know what happened. This was a weird day. Then I started getting really dizzy reading it. So I had to fall asleep for about an hour on my mm. couch before I could open my laptop again and finish reading it. And I got all—I got through all of it in like one go. And I was like, well, this is a strange book. So I don't know if I would say it's the most tame, but that might just be my own experience with the book. Well, I mean, tame. I think when someone in a library tells you not to read it, it automatically becomes the most exotic thing you've ever read. <laughs> well, the librarian probably votes for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. she wants to repress sexuality as much as possible, this librarian. I actually read this in a library too, but I work at the writing center and I read it while I was in the writing center. So I kind of like was the institution <laughs> and I could feel people walking behind me and they would occasionally be like, is that Bush? And I'd be like, yes, there is some Lady Bush going on here, but also I don't care. Was there it's any George man. W. Bush? Oh. Oh. Yeah, it's funny. I read it. I read it in a, a I read it in a church with my priest. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Uh. I feel like I should have known this before going into it because I knew this. I knew that my library didn't have any like gay books at all. So I guess I I should have had the foresight for going into this library. But again, this was a really weird day. So. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been kicked out of my library for reading erotica before, and I've done that plenty of times. Openly. First time for everything. I like it to make makes me wonder now if people in your library, Tim, are reading slash watching erotic things all the time, and this damn librarian's like, I gotta tell all these kids to like stop. Oh, they are. Believe oh, wait. Me, I've seen a bunch. Side note, I have a story. My high school librarian wrote erotic fiction and got published, and she did an interview and said she got inspiration from her students. Oh. 
<laughs> it was an all boys school. No. Yeah, that's true. I, I had well, that's that's teacher, awful. I had a French teacher in high school who was obsessed with death and sex, and she wrote about it on her live journal page, and we all found it because we looked her up to wonder how she got teaching accreditation because she was a really bad teacher. So we found this page. So for the rest of the year, we just we couldn't even look at her the same way. It was it was easily the most disturbing things I've ever read, and I've read a lot of disturbing oh. things. Some of these books, some of them. Say, so especially even by today, I think we've all read some pretty disturbing things. <laughs> we've seen some things, man. So I want to go back to Bob's comment about how these boobs don't exist in reality, because I wanted to talk about the art. So, Bob, do you want to start by talking more about the boobs, or do you want someone else to talk about the art first? I'll go for the boobs. It's my first choice. Well, they already look like, they're both like the same cup size, which I find very unlikely. That's one. <laughs> Two, they're way too circular, so they look like they're implants. And three, I mean, the art's okay. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I got a little off. Aroused? Be, I, That's exactly what I was I did not say. get aroused because, uh, I don't know, cartoons <laughs> don't do it for me. Just to be, I need the real thing. So Archie versus Predator didn't do it for you either? No. <laughs> but back to the art. It was interesting how like some of the lines were crisper than the others. So I was curious about that and why he chose some of his things and um, why the boobs were so perfect. That's it. That's all I got for the art. How, do, how does anyone follow up on that? James is just losing it. <laughs> I was mega pissed I'm just off imagining you. I'm just imagining you having a very serious conversation with the artist and be like, where did you see these boobs? Why did you draw them this way? I just like, why are they the same? Like you could have switched it up. <sighs> I think that their bodies, though, I think that, that their bodies look exactly the same to me. Yeah, I would even say, like, the guy has a similar body as them, just not the boobs. <laughs> at one point, I was actually rereading it last night, and I uh, mistook Alan for Lisa at one point. I was yes. like, wait, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, yeah, there was a disproportionate amount of redheads in that story. Like, No, there was just the right amount, Tim. There's, there's I mean, like, just the I, amount. Like, I, red's my favorite color and everything, but like it was so strange seeing that. It was like the Weasleys were all in that story, and it was so strange to me. They're like, oh, look, another redhead. I'm like, okay, I've met like five redheads in my life that were like legit actual redheads and didn't fade or anything like that. And these people were like, their heads were on fire. <laughs> Tim, I have so many questions about your life. Why do you not, why do you, why do you know so few amount of redheads and uh, that are natural, actual, like that kind of red redhead? I'm really confused about your library not having any gay books too. <laughs> yeah, I was too. I looked I looked up trying to find some and I was like, there are none in my library. This is so strange. I had to do it what for a What school class do you go like, to so we can so... put it on blast? <laughs> <laughs> what is this school? Oh man. Oh no, it's it's a public library. <laughs> oh, okay. So what town? It was like it was even weirder to me. Like at least in a school, I could understand it because it's like, oh, it's a Catholic university. Maybe they're against that sort of thing. Oh yeah. Even though the population there is disproportionately gay, also, but whatever. <laughs> but like at the public library, I was like, okay, this is strange to me. Especially in like downtown Chicago, you'd think they'd have some, but they didn't. Bastards. They said some people stole the books, and I was really concerned about that. Self help. <laughs> <laughs> They needed BDSM for beginners. They needed it. Pretty sure it might have been my priest who took that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I actually wanted to ask a question about, somebody said it earlier, but there's a point where they refer to themselves or the BDSM community as being sexual nerds. And I would like to get your comments upon that concept. It's, it's true. Because it's all about collecting and creating new experiences and scenarios. Can you go into more detail for us? I... <laughs> 
will not share, but I can I can confirm it's true. Wasting first hand experience bunch of objects. <laughs> And also getting your best friend that you used to do this with to build them for you. And it's like not weird. I mean. So it's like Legos? <laughs> <laughs> they explore it more in future volumes. If you're more interested in like Alan and Allie's relationship, I recommend volume two. But I mean, it all depends on how interested you are in furthering the story. Only for self-help. <laughs> self-help quotations. I just have to say, Alan's very, very comfortable in that house in a way that regardless of how amazing, there's no justification in my brain for that level of comfort with someone else. I don't know. I'm pretty comfortable with my friend's sex lives, but like that's like a really high level of comfort. I have a really high level of comfort with my friend's sex lives. When you meet someone else that you've never met before is having sex with your friend, do you make roadkill jokes about their bush? Maybe. I mean, like, he could probably okay. smell okay. the I don't know your in house. Matt, I have a lot of questions for you now, too. <laughs> Ask away. <laughs> okay, how often have you referred to anyone's genitals as roadkill? <laughs> Twice. All right, that answers all my questions. <laughs> Back to the boobs. I hope it was notable enough that he's counted it in his brain. He's like, one, two, two times. Yes. Wait, can I bring up a question? So, yes, I would love for you to bring up a question. All right, uh, Jamie, I saw in your notes that you referred to uh, the comic like you wanted to know like what it was like in the male gaze. Like I did say that in my notes. Yeah, I was. I thought it was interesting because when I first picked up this comic, I was like, like I did see, I was like, oh, this is like erotica. But for as I read it, and I've been reading the series in the long run, it really it might be selling well and be on the New York Times bestseller list because of the male gaze. But I think the story really is about a relationship, and it's really a love story. Just the BDSM is a major factor in it and I think that it's not really written and drawn for the male gaze it's written for anyone who's interested in the BDSM and love it's just I think it's all about our industry just kind of men looking at things and being like oh yeah well, I need this like I said I think it's normalizing normalizing alternative you know alternate sexuality and stuff because obviously I think a lot of the remnants of like previous cultures have you know demonize any kind of alternate sexuality and our, our younger culture is trying to you know embrace it so you know like i said i think i think it's just trying to embrace something that is, is a little different yeah i would agree with that i mean like the from my own male gaze from a male gay that was like when i read it i was like there's nothing arousing about this but like there was still like the relationship element to the story that was compelling in an interesting way because like when i was reading it, i was like oh so it seems like Allie was much more of the submissive one, like personality wise, but then when they're in like their friendship mode, whereas like Lisa was the more dominant one there, whereas like the, when they were doing their sexual relationship, it was the opposite way around. So I think it was like, it was an interesting exploration there and how they're not necessarily linked and how it like manifests in different ways, you know? I think this is a book that is more about relationships that has BDSM versus a book like Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a book about BDSM between two people. Oh, that's but I've been listening to the audiobook of Fifty Shades of Grey while I'm at work because uh, it's really, really bad. Just I don't recommend it. If you just go go buy Sunstone and read it. Don't read Fifty Shades. Don't watch the movie. Is there a female voice and a male voice in the audiobook, or is it just one voice? Oh, it's just one female voice. And let me tell you, when they do the Jose voice, it is just awful and stereotypical. I'm a little offended. Stephanie Meyer chose me for the audiobook, and I do all the voices. But so that, is it like the Harry Potter ones, like the Harry Potter audiobooks, where like they have the one British guy doing all the different voices going on with these characters? Yes, <laughs> it's bad. So you're saying that a woman with a voice that sounds like mine does an impression of Christian B- Bray Gray being like, "I want to bite creepy? that." Creepy. I can't even think. But as a woman, <laughs> is that supposed to be Christian Bale? 
<laughs> That's definitely what she almost said. <laughs> yes. Someone should write like a feminist article about how Anastasia Gray narrating her own audiobook is like her reclaiming her traumatic experience. Boom. Do it. I'd read it. <laughs> I'll do it myself. No one else has to do that. The only, I'll say the only reason, well, the main reason why I thought about the male gaze in that book was because kind of about what Bob was saying about the perfect boobs. Because I think that they do a really good job of taking this story. And I think it's a really cute story. So I think it subverts everything male gazy about it. But I do think there is some moments where I'm like, I don't know. There's a point where you're like, okay, what's sexy and what's the male gaze? And I don't know if I could tell you because I think that like the way that they're I mean, I love to talk about Bush, obviously the way that their Bush looks is not like I don't know if they're trying to imply to me that that's naturally the way their Bush looks or if they like coordinated their Bush styles before. But it's kind of an imprec. It's like not in my experience that like they would have the same Bush. That's like that's a very specific Bush cut. They got there together. I'm just saying. I don't even know how to respond to that. that That's highly manicured right there. Like, that is very. Yeah, I'm like, it's very specific bushing. Yeah, like, they're going to the military with that shit right there. (laughs) (laughs) That is the military style of a bush cut, though. Wait, wouldn't they just shave it all off or. No, because the hair shows dominance. It shows they're proud of it's their like, bodies. It's like just just enough hair. Well, I'm more, yeah, I'm more concerned about cut. what the military does concerning this now. The mili- <laughs> does the military make you shave your bush, or is that it's personal preference? It's a crew cut. <laughs> the military does it because the military sucks. Like, I don't think that they would. I think they're too afraid of lady parts to even like buy pants for women, let alone like talk about their bush. Yeah, women, we're talking about the repression of sexuality. Military women. Now that you can go into <laughs> combat, wear this dress very long, ankle length. Uh, the only other question I had already written down was about the male gaze, so we already covered it. And then I had, I pulled one of my favorite moments from the book that was not necessarily my favorite moment because I liked it, but it was my favorite moment because it was crazy because she kind of gives this whole speech about latex and how it feels against the skin. So we can talk about that or if somebody else has a question, we can talk about that instead. I don't have a question. I just wish we did volume two so we could see all the rope play, but that's also personal preference. I mean... I when she's when she's talking about the latex stuff, I was like, okay, I had to wear latex gloves one time for this one party. I was like, it does not feel like it's a part of your skin. That might just be because I have really irritated skin like super easily. I'm like, this itches like crazy. And it's it was very hard to get off. That was true. Tim, but I was of, like, there was nothing was fun about this. What kind of party was that? Halloween party. <laughs> oh, that makes Wait, a lot of sense. Wait, what was your costume that you were wearing latex gloves? I was a flapper, but but like a dirty, dirty flapper because I guess flappers are already dirty. Uh, by 1920 standards, I guess. Yeah, like it was a, it was above the calf, so it was. Oh, oh, hey now, <laughs> I know. <laughs> a dirty flapper. So back to the bush. <laughs> All I have to say is, in the book, it says latex is like lotion. I'm reading this straight off of it, and then it says latex really is unlike anything else. It well fights you. Leather will hug your skin. Latex will become your skin. Your slightly too tight skin. She's also saying this like while she's having an orgasm. It sounded like Buffalo Bill to me, like from Silence of the Lambs. It becomes your skin. I'm like, I need to stop. Would this you needs fuck to stop me? right now. I'd fuck me. <laughs> I'm just saying the latex scene. It rubbed me the wrong way. Pun Did intended. Pun intended. Oh, one at a time. <laughs> But yes, the latex was but wrong, I, just as the boobs. <laughs> I, I prefer leather. Okay, just saying. I think it's warmer. 
It's yeah. All right, thank you. And this is the part of the show where Matt and Bob get an argument over leather versus latex. No, I think we agree. Yeah, that's not much of an argument then. <laughs> and now we're holding hands. Your hands are very moist. I- Yours are too. <laughs> like latex. <laughs> Gets. This is exactly uh, where I expected this podcast to go. It went there. Yeah. I need more hands to hold. Maybe we'll maybe we'll inspire our own gay BDSM relationship right now. Uh, it's already been inspired. I think we inspired the book, actually. Just didn't know it yet. It was our self-help guide. Oh, everything's coming out now. <laughs> really? Ex- wow. This is this is euphoric. Erotic. Most erotic. So outrageously erotic. Truly, truly outrageous. <laughs> so I want everyone to go around and say whether or not they would recommend this book to anyone. <laughs> Only to priests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I would think this requires an open-minded audience, and so I think in general most younger readers can probably handle this without getting you know flushed red <laughs> in the face. Older readers, you know, it depends on uh, your tolerance to other people's person personal lives and stuff, you know. But yeah, it's I think it's I think anyone can, like it's good enough for me to recommend to other people, you know. I would make print it out and then I would distribute it at a Trump rally. <laughs> and maybe they'll will like hurt each other in anger and the population of Trump supporters will decrease. Bob, I think we should try to get this uh, distributed in southern southern public schools <laughs> and the libraries that don't have any gay material. Word. <laughs> Uh, I'd recommend this to my high school librarian and any other librarian that writes erotica about her students. I wouldn't recommend it to my parents, who are Trump supporters, but I would recommend it to everyone else. That's a very big demographic. Yes. <laughs> it's a very large demographic kind of book. I would, I think I'd recommend it because I know some people that probably like this book. My librarian wouldn't be one of them, but I might recommend it anyway just to see what she says. Maybe she, I could turn her over a new leaf. But I don't know if I'd want to turn that kind of leaf because then I would know that in the back of my mind that I did that. But you yeah, would I mean, like that. <laughs> and like the grand scheme of like, okay, books I wouldn't recommend. This was like, it had a good story at least. Like if you can get past, if you can get past the typos, which first off bothered me a lot <laughs> when I was trying to read it because it was small print on my computer. And you can, and beyond that, yeah, go for it. Good book. My question is, how many perfect boobs would you rate this book <laughs> out of two? 7.2. Two perfect boobs. Two boobs up. <laughs> <laughs> two nipples of poking. <laughs> Jamie, what, how about you? I would actually recommend this book to everyone, and I would say especially people who like latex. <laughs> and even more than that, people who hate latex. Because I think you would really grind their gears, and I would love to see that. And this has been brought to you by latex. <laughs> <laughs> everyone can be a fan of latex if they try hard enough. Our next comic is Gem. Yeah. Um, it's a little hard for, for me to be hard on Gem because, as I already said, I love Gem and Matt loves Gem. But Gem. Is about a band called Gem and the Holograms, composed of four girls who are sisters, and their names are Jerica, Aja, Kimber, Shana. I had to write those down so I didn't forget. 
And Jerrica's the lead singer, but Jerrica's afraid. So they go home one day, and their father, who has recently died, has invented this program called Synergy that can literally do anything. I'm not using the word literally incorrectly. It can do anything. And they decide with this program, what they're going to do is make a different personality for Jerrica called Jem. And then Jem gets, and then Jerrica gets over her stage fright and can be Jem. And then they fight this other band called the Misfits, and it's awesome. And I put this as a guilty pleasure because it's based on a really good 80s cartoon, but it did just bomb at the box office. So I think that makes it a little guilty. When I say I love Gem, people think I'm insane. Oh, man, that that movie I got 20 minutes in, and I was like, I can't. Just, just I can't. It was so bad. No theater around. You told me that. I, I started watching it illegally because I wasn't going to pay for it. Sorry. I feel like most people aren't even aware of the Gem movie, to be frank. The movie's out of, out of theaters in just a couple weeks, wasn't it? It, it was, was internet weeks. famous bad, though. Everyone on the internet, there was some really, really funny bad interviews of the Gem movie. Oh, man. Trust me. Like, go to, I think it was even one on AV Club that was amazing. It was like this person felt personally offended by the Gem movie. So, so Jamie, <laughs> let me ask you something. How similar is the origin story in the book to the 80s cartoon into the movie it's kind of similar i to couldn't the tell you movie. i mean the 80s show uh, it's it similar and i was saying it's similar to the 80s show but i don't think it's similar to the movie as far i think that matt's the expert but as far as i could tell the movie kind of took a more youtuber makeup perspective and less of a science fiction perspective yeah no there was like no science fiction it was basically oh my god what if we made hannah montana the movie but with youtube and did a poor adaptation of an 80s tv show that actually doesn't sound like a bad idea in my mind, but that's because I watched Hannah Montana. Yeah, no. There was one uh, Valentine's Day where I watched the Hannah Montana movie three times in a row. Miley's a fox. Yes. Call, call me Miley. So, What I was thought, it like to watch it the third time? I think at that point I was just crying and eating ice cream. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really remember too much. Apparently during the show, the older brother was like 30. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He's like 40-something <laughs> now. It's really weird. I'm like, good God, he's eternal. I know the creator of Gemini Holograms is a huge comic book fan. I, I had heard a story that she um would like draw female features in her Stan Lee comic books back in the 60s because like there weren't a lot of female characters, but like to help her relate to the characters, she like made them more female. Huh. Oh, yeah, it's Travis. That's amazing. Posted that video. I saw that video too. Is her name Cindy Marks, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, I feel bad for not uh, knowing her name off the top of my head. It's okay. I should feel bad for knowing it. No, if anything, you should feel bad if you didn't know it, right? True. Because you're the you're a gem fan. I have every issue and every trade. I'm obsessed. All right. I bought. And did you buy the ones at NYCC that were like the special ones? No. They had like a special cover. I wish I did. I bought it. I bought it. I'm jealous. I, there was a little girl next to me, and she was seven, and she wanted the same comic book, and she was like, "Mom, isn't this pretty? Can I buy this?" And I'm like looking at the guy, and I'm like, "Sir, I need this right now. It's like a drug to me." And this little girl's like, "It's cute." I'm like, "Don't check her out first. Check me out first." Drugs aren't me. cute. <laughs> <laughs> but she was cute. Depends which drug. Stay away. <laughs> I'm like, little girl, I'm gonna steal this book from you. I'm gonna ruin your life, and then you're gonna hate Jem forever. <laughs> But that's my experience. So what do you guys think about Gem? And I, Matt can go as well, but we all know that Matt loves it, so it's a little different. Okay. Well, I had a decent cursory knowledge of Gem beforehand. Nothing quite as much as Jamie or Matt, probably, because I couldn't tell you all the characters off the top of my head. I probably still can't. But I did watch the episode where a character <laughs> took some kind of drug. 
I don't know what it was. It might have been PCP or something. And she like gets on the balcony of a house and she like thinks she can fly. You know this episode I'm talking about? Do you guys know? This is like a thing. No, but this I was need during to the watch this one. This was the early '80s when I clearly need to watch it. The war against drugs. While you guys are talking, I'll look it up and give a an episode drop. But yeah, that was a thing because uh, this is back when Ronald Reagan was president and the war against drugs. There's a lot of that stuff that infiltrated pop culture back then for kids. Pizza's here. <laughs> People in Gem love pizza. And food in general. It's a great comic book. Okay, so none of that will be taken out in in post op, but uh, so you'll just hear us get pizza. But I didn't think the book uh, was bad. I mean, it wasn't heavy on detail or anything because, like, you know, it was kind of a light read. But I didn't think it was uh, offensive. Where some of the books we read, <coughs> Archie, uh, was a little offensive. <laughs> Batman, <or Robin>? <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, this was like the most this was the most pleasing thing to read, I think. It was uh I mean, yeah, I mean like I said, it's not it's not gonna be some kind of Grant Morrison whimsical epic of any kind, but like, you know, it was good. That's like my honest opinion. You're um, welcome, Phil. It, it you know yeah. There's not much more to say. I, I, what do you think, Bob? Uh it wasn't for me. Not to say How it's dare not, you. Well, you know, different strokes. For different blokes. They're correct, you know. I just, I thought some of the, it was just campy, and I don't really like campy. I didn't really like, I lost track of thought. I don't know. It's just it was campy. I just didn't think the um, characters were all that engaging to me. I didn't really like the, I mean, the whole point was not to like the villain, which was the other band, but I didn't really understand where the anger was coming from. It felt a little forced to me. I don't want to like cheap. That's who Pizzazz is. She just is angry. Uh, but then why would that... The one who dates part of the... I don't know their names. But they start dating between the bands, right? Stormer and Kimber. Kimber. Yeah. And Kimber, yeah. And I don't understand why... I know music is her dream, but why would you want to work for somebody like that? Like, it's just like... Because that band is really successful, be and there might not be other opportunities to <laughs> no. be in such a successful band. The Misfits band. is the biggest band in America. If they're right so big, if they're so big, why are they getting worried about like Gem and the Holograms? Because we would people only listen to one. They're really band? good. Uh, people only listen to one band like that. Pizzazz does not like competition <laughs> because she's fucking <laughs> Pizzazz. She sold her. They're soul. really fucking good. Okay, that's well, all you have. Gem is really. Good. Oh, you know what? I got more. Really Truly good. outrageous. Go, go. Uh, Grieve your issues. No, listen. Stormer sold her soul for her career. That happens a lot. Like earlier this year, there was some party going on at my campus. It was like the Republican Party of DePaul. Well, I'm not a Republican, but they had a free boat party if you were. So I'm like, I'll sell my political soul for eight hours and go on a boat ride. I can never afford a boat or a ride, so I'm going to go for it. It was free wine, free See, cocktail. Bob, was, people have great. this experience. Well, I think I don't. I think you're reading too much into it, to be frank, because like, I don't think... Uh, my it, opinion. Damn. You know what? I, you, cut me, you cut me deep there. Fair enough. Ouch. I just said... Bob, I want to hear more critiques. Okay. And I also didn't understand the whole deal of the the gem thing. Like, what is that? Why is it such a big deal that she's hologram? Like, why has it got to be such a secret? Yeah. I actually wrote that in my notes. I think that's actually the most... Because the thing is, they've tried to justify it as Jerrica's just so stage-frightened. But the thing is, there's a certain point where she starts to get mad where... Yes. People are like... Well, especially when Rio's like... Uh, Jem's awful because like she is awful to him because she steals Jerrica's coffee like a dick and so he obviously hates her thing. but there's no good reason it's just and like so yeah, why there's a certain point where Jerrica should just be like can't she 
still be afraid, but everyone knows that it's, I don't know. I, hey guys, I, under, uh, I think it's kind of Have silly, you never seen Hannah Montana? Because the plot's in that whole fucking show. No, I haven't seen that because it all comes why back would to I watch Montana. it? Well, I have why seen wouldn't Montana. you watch it? I wouldn't watch it three times in a row on the same day and cry like you. Well, uh, I believe you a, should. A, no, I shouldn't. That sounds like a terrible day. I, it was. I believe the issue was that they were Rio was a uh, music journalist and they were worried about him exposing the secret, which ties into her stage fright because then everyone would know that Jerrica is Jem. Which Can I, I just say that Jerrica also is not quite as bland as the book wants me to believe because oh. Jerrica literally only wears the color pink and that's called quirky. There is a YouTube video about a woman that only wears the color green and she's insane. Yeah, but her hair is the least crazy, I guess. The least. If you stand. read the comic, her hair uh, is Bob. Sophie Campbell changes the hairstyles of every character, every issue, but mm-hmm. Jerrica is the only one whose hair stays the same. She is. The she's mo- bland. Yeah, she's very. I don't know. It's supposed to highlight the fact that she's so self conscious and she doesn't. She doesn't want to be noticed because she's so afraid of it. And I think that's why she really has the gem persona because she she's okay if it's not her. But she's also starting in the comic series and later on in future volumes. She's becoming more and more aware that more people care about Jem than they care about her. So I don't know. Which stands a reason, I guess, right? Because she's this major pop star. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, Jem's better, so makes sense. Honestly, I can't give a shit about Jerrica and Jem because Pizzazz is the only character that matters. <laughs> Wait, do you love Pizzazz? Pizzazz is my queen. Do you think Pizzazz is into BDSM? And second question, do you think she has p- perfect boobs? Yes <laughs> and yes. Okay. See, Kimber is my favorite character. She was the most attractive of all the drawings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Kimber's like a foot taller than me. Okay, for she, she had like a block long weave though, and some of those. Her hair also, it was like so fucking long. Like right? it, I was like, holy shit! And, and it's like so thick, but it's only on the very top part of her head. And she always braided it too, which means like it would be even longer when she undid the braids. And I'm like, oh you my, have. To, I'm like, is she pet? You have to be that tall to braid that hair. Like, you have to have that much. <laughs> Just have those long gangly arms to reach down off for our noodle hair. arms. Matt, do you know the name of the other people in the Misfits? Because the two that I like are the one that likes the bagels. <laughs> All right, so it's that's a defining character trait. Uh, Pizzazz, Stormer, <laughs> Roxy, and I don't know if it's Jetta. I think it's Jetta, but some people <laughs> might pronounce it Yetta. I don't know. I had an Albanian <laughs> friend in college. She was like, "No, my name is Yetta." She's from the old country. <laughs> she does. I'm looking it up. Her name is, uh, yeah, it's Yetta. And then yeah. Stormer, obviously, and Roxy. Also, can we talk a little bit about the Clash? Clash is the one that sabotages the band. Like, she tries to, like, murder the band. That was a bit over the top. She's crazy. Okay. Also, you know the character Blaze? I had no idea who she was. Yes. And I was really confused by that. Uh, well, the character Blaze is actually the first transsexual character to be created and drawn by a transsexual artist in comics. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Is that really true? Yes, it is. Wow. When does it become That's known? one of the great things about Gem. Is it like the idea, like the J.K. Rowling thing, where she's like, "Oh, Dumbledore's gay," or is it actually she's sad? actually trans? No, no, like no, is she it, is. It, she... Is it implied in the book? Oh no, she comes out as trans later on. In the Follow up question: Was Blaze in the TV show? Blaze was a created character for the comics. Okay, that's that's good to specify. Blaze is very. I think that actually Blaze, the fact that Blaze basically tries to murder them, is a very odd plot point that I still like don't know how to deal with. No, it wasn't Blaze. It was Clash that did it. And it's the thing. The thing about Clash is that she's so obsessed with the Misfits that she'll do anything they say, even if it 
means trying to kill someone, which I don't even know if Pizzazz was like, you need to take them out. I'd say she didn't say that. She just was like, I'm really pissed and I wish they were gone. I think is the real just. And then she like interpreted, I wish they were gone as like, I'm going to murder them on stage. Yeah, That's no. like one of those like classic mafia movies where you like make a mistake in your phrasing and then the Don like goes off and has a hit list against your family or something. Honestly, I would never trust yes. anyone with rainbow dash hair. So... Yeah, there's that. Oh, really? Because the all the other eccentric hair colors, those are fine. But <laughs> when you yeah. add a couple more, that becomes blasphemous. Well, blasphemous. I think Flash looks the most like a My Little Pony out of all the characters. I'll say that. Yeah, that was the Rainbow Dash. Com- Not that I watched My Little Pony. Wasn't there like a little... Matt, we all know you watched My Little Pony. Damn it, my he secret's might, exposed. You might say he is a brony. Can't see my fedora, but I'm rocking it. It's wobbling. <laughs> podcast lies he has no fedora <laughs> shut up bob so i guess we've covered almost everything that i wanted to talk about wait can we the talk only about... thing that oh. go ahead matt no go ahead matt i was gonna talk about uh i really liked how in gem with the way they depict the music videos and the way they do the music scenes and how they're drawn because i think that's the first time i've ever seen like a music video de- like portrayed in a comic where everything is like outlandish like you can see that it's a song like it it's such like a difference in between the reality parts of the comic and the music parts and i just think that's it was a lot of fun for me when i first saw it i think sophie Campbell's is a great depiction of that i agree with that like i feel like in a lot of comics it's one of those weird things where authors try and stick music in all the time and then it doesn't work because you kind of need to hear it instead of read it because sometimes lyrics sound really bad if you just read them but they sound like great if you actually hear them whereas like in this you could actually like you would see like the flowing of the melodies and all that through the different panels you're like okay i kind of get where this like there's a certain melodiousness to it where like other comics it's like oh no especially if they go with serious music i read one that was like they played some old jazz song and it was the saddest thing ever because then the guy committed suicide after but it was like awkwardly not emotional because you didn't hear the song like this like you got happy because you're like oh they're having such a fun time and jerica's proud of herself i think that's the first time suicide and gem the holograms have been put together in all of its existence leave it to me Thanks, well, Tim. They did do that cover of Suicide is Painless. I'm just making that up. I, oh, no. For the listeners at home, that was a lie. <laughs> That's a, a Misfits cover. You can download it online. <laughs> well, Laura from they the show did line. try to kill herself. I'm still trying to figure out what episode this is from. I found a clip, though. With the drug I, really, I really liked Pizzazz for the most part. Like, she was super angry. But, like, you know how some people get really upset with people being angry on Twitter? I always follow them, like, even harder. Because I'm like, they're the funniest people to laugh at. Like, because no one in real life does that to people. But, like, when you see those people that are so crazy, intense, and angry, it's like, I love these people. Like, to me, she was like a white Azealia Banks on Twitter. That's what I was just about to say. She reminded me of Azealia Banks. Okay. Like, hardcore. And she's like, crazy hair and everything. I was like, dang, I love this chick. I wish there was, like, no censorship from the author because you could definitely tell she'd go hard and she would like be clawing at these people and I would just be so down for all of it. I found the episode with the drug awareness is from episode 49 from 1987. It's called Alone Again. Oh. That's pretty messed <laughs> up, I guess. But uh, yeah. That hurts my heart. Laura Holloway is just 14 years old when she tries to kill herself. Woof. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well. Dear Lord. I was oh, wrong about that wow. suicide fact then. I guess so. But she didn't mean to. Bad. She was on drugs and she thought she could fly. I'd been there before. Doesn't specify what kind of drug it is. It's just, quote, air quote, some pills. Air quote. <laughs> <laughs> 
So going back to the book, the only other thing that we haven't talked about is I wanted to talk a little, the only other questions that I had, I had were about how Synergy can seemingly do anything. And as you get past the first six issues, Synergy literally can do anything. And then I think that's crazy. And then the only other thing I wanted to talk about was the costumes. I was waiting um, for Synergy to like take over and be like, sorry, Jerrica, I'm the real star. And then she'd like kidnap Jerrica and put her somewhere. And she'd be like, I'm now you. you. <laughs> Wait till uh get to the third arc, Dark Gem. You get it. <laughs> it's real good. It looks like I should be writing these stories. Literally. And then like, I also thought it was really funny when she made that projection like 40 feet away. She's like, she's like, Jem, make a, or Synergy, make a projection over there so Rio can see that Jem's there. I'm like, whoa. Why did she? Why did she do that? She was like, show a projection of Jem so Jem can seem like a dick and I'm going to seem like really good. Yeah, why, why not just be like, I was not- hey, Synergy, show Jem coming over here and have her make a small conversation with everyone. Or have, have show Jem getting in the back of a hospital van. Or like, we could just well, kill off Rio. Like they I never showed any of the girls go to school, so. Well, everyone has to have a romantic subplot in this book, I think. Yeah, but Rio. <laughs> everyone does have a romantic subplot. Except mm-hmm. for Shayna. Pizzazz needs herself. I don't know who Shayna is. She's the black one. Pizzazz needs no one else. (laughs) Pizzazz is pizzazz. Pizzazz. Too much pizzazz in Pizzazz's relationship (laughs) for another person. She's Matt's queen, so you know. Pizzazz is totally my type, if that says anything about me. Oh, going back to the last book, I think it does a little bit. Yeah. It says a lot, actually. Well, I mean, I was the the PDSM book, so I think that we all got it. (laughs) Hey, listeners, uh, I'm single. If you're crazy. (laughs) This book's psychopath. He's looking for an asshole who's I'm going like, to abuse him. The, now's the point where you put your phone number in. What was that thing? Uh, I'm looking for a relationship like Harley Quinn and the Joker. You might be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Except reverse. <laughs> you are Harley Quinn. It's true. Well, let's take a dark turn, so, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Latex. <laughs> that works, too. So I, now that we've taken this to the scary, dark place that it didn't need to go, does do you guys, would you su- suggest this book to someone else? I think this is a good book for younger readers because, like, I think this is a good entry-level comic book. I think this is really good for female readers because I think sometimes, I mean, less so now than a few years ago, but this is a medium that isolates uh, women readers, and obviously it's getting better. But this is a good book for, I think, younger readers, especially girls, to get into. Not that guys can't read it because I enjoyed reading, so. We'll talk about isolating female readers more when we talk about Batman and Robin. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about there. (laughs) That's very inclusive. It invites all people to hate the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) All walks of life. I mean, I think I'd recommend this book. Probably definitely like you said to a younger audience, just because I feel like to anyone that's older or supposedly more mature and jaded with the world, they might be like, what is this book? Why is it so pastel colored? I hate all of this. So like they might not be down. People like Bob. I liked the colors. I just didn't like the story. Well. Actually, I wouldn't recommend it for the colorblind. It might confuse them. Oh, damn. Going after our blind listeners. Going after our primary demographic. Colorblind specifically. Like, when I, I talked to someone who was colorblind once, and he was like, yeah, every color that I see is, is warped into a different color. Like, he doesn't he doesn't see gray in the colors. They just flip what the color is. And so like, I feel like this book would really confuse him if that was the case. Yeah, I knew someone that was colorblind that thought the Joker's hair was orange because they couldn't see green. Yeah. So there you go. I don't know who to plug for that one. Which sponsor to plug? Crayola. <laughs> School for the Blind. <laughs> this is brought to you Bob, by School Matt, of Rock. Would you recommend this book? Uh, I'd recommend this book to anyone of any, except for Bob. 
I don't know. I think this is a really great story. I think Kelly Thompson writes it very well. Sophie Campbell's a rotating artist. She did the first and third arc, but they have other really, really talented artists on it as well. I do it. Uh, we brought up the colors. I think M. Victoria Roboto is uh, one of my favorite colorists in comics right now. I know we we people in the comic book industry only really talk about names like Dave Stewart and Jordi Belair, but I think uh, M. Victoria Roboto, her coloring helps define a book. So if you like color and you like music, and you like big hair, read it. And crazy ladies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bob? Oh, uh, depends on who the person is. I wouldn't recommend it to uh, most guys, but who knows? Matt's not a normal guy. True. I don't know where you got that <laughs> I feel from. like we're just doing a large dating profile for Matt. Ladies. That's in the script. He kind of like tied our hands on this one, made it so it was like that. Yes, I did. That's why I pick Sunstone. That's <laughs> also why Bob's here. Obviously, that's the way to get the ladies. Wink, wink. What about you, Jamie? I would recommend this to everyone. <laughs> everyone. I mean that. And I would say even Bob. I'm happy that Bob read it. I think that Bob's better for it, even if Bob doesn't seem too happy about it. And I think that the best part about this book is that it's one of the funnest things I've ever read. And I think that some things pretend to be fun, and they're not fun at all, but this is actually really fun. So if you like fun, I would say read it. Anything else you want to say before I cut off the segment? Go read Jim now. Do it. Do it. It wasn't fun. Damn Ooh. you, Bob. And go watch but, the movie. But don't don't watch the suicide episode. Let's just leave that in the past. <laughs> we'll leave that Nancy Reagan in the past. <laughs> she just died, Phil. That's, that's real fun. She Dumb. just died. Oh, she was old. She had a long life. Our third selection was Archie versus Predator, which Phil selected, even though Phil doesn't really like it. So, Phil, do you want to explain it to us and also explain why you told us all to read it? Okay. Well, Archie versus Predator is not like your average Archie book at all. In this exciting tale, which is four issues long, Archie and the gang win a exclusive trip to some exotic island thanks to the hijinks of Jughead. <laughs> On reading rainbow, <laughs> <laughs> ever and as as Veronica and Betty lament and argue and get into physical altercations over Archie's best part of the book, Archie's love. Betty's nose is bleeding, by the way, when they have a physical <laughs> altercation. Like her nose is broken and her broken. Her face is covered in blood. And meanwhile, you have these two prototypical rich snobby kids who, at one point, this is probably my favorite part in the book, say death to the proletariat. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was, that was my favorite. So funny. Brilliant. That was so funny. And they get brutally murdered as their spines are separated from the rest of their body by a teenage predator. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't listen any further. I'd skip ahead if you want, because I'm totally gonna spoil the shit out of this. Because why the fuck not? Uh, at the end, after everyone brutally dies except for Betty and Veronica, they <laughs> they physically alter the predator to look like Archie, <laughs> which is I have no idea how to feel about that. Do you think they have a? Do you think they have predator dick or is it like Archie penis? Boy, these are the burning questions. And is that, it a, per- a perfect that penis? would prefer the predator dick, if I'm being honest. You could ask the same question about Beauty and the Beast also. I think this is a very similar situation. That's a lot of bush, I'm sure. <laughs> it's very important it's situation. It's all bush. Um, <laughs> I figured for this we need an Archie book because Archie's a kind of a wayward uh, comic book brand that people don't read terribly often anymore i don't read it i've never read an archie book before this um, i do i love it and uh 
The new Archie's really good too. A, a friend of mine said this was a good book, and I was like, "Well, you know what? All right." Because originally I was thinking Batman Odyssey, but we already had a Batman book, so I was like, "Well, we'll read some." You, how you, how did bad your could it be? Look you in the eye and go, "Phil, this is a good book." Like, is that how he described it to you before you read it? Like, you had nothing else. Well. We were we were talking over Facebook. So I was like, "Boy, I have no idea what qualifies as a guilty guilty read. I don't I don't know." And we're just like brainstorming. And he's like, I, "I was like, how about Archie?" He's like, "You should read Archie versus Predator." And while so I was reading it, pleasure concept was in your mind when you thought about this. Yeah, yeah. And I um I took many pictures that I sent to him of the book while I was reading it two nights ago, such as the part where Sabrina the teenage witch is wearing like a deer skull. <laughs> That was my favorite part. I and, was so excited when she came in and then she just died and I was very much more upset about it. I was like, there's Salem, there's Sabrina, there's the house. And, and the then she died. cat gets brutally murdered by They were like, let's go to Sabrina's house. I'm like, wait, not like the Sabrina I know. Oh, wait, it is the Sabrina I know. Except she looks very... Okay. Boy, oh boy. What a book. No way Jughead so dies? The irony. Delicious. Did anyone else get super uncomfortable <laughs> when Kevin was like, I brought my daddy... Cause I, yep, I cringed. <laughs> that was weird for me. I was like, please don't refer to your very muscular military father as your daddy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. This is back to a. This is back to a BDSM thing. <laughs> Everything goes back to Sunstone in the end, and I just keep thinking of that when I read this book. I was like, please stop. Please don't call him daddy. No male should call their dad daddy ever. No one should call their dad daddy. It's just scary. Daddy. So shut up. I hate you. I don't. I don't know. It wasn't really a bad book. It was kind of clever sometimes, but boy, was it a, it was, it was, uh, it was, what's the word? It was gore porn in a way. <laughs> it was, in, it was, but there were certain points like the, the Archie Betty Veronica thing was handled in such a weird way in this book. Like it wasn't just like, it was like, oh, like which one is he going to pick? It'd be like, he'd be holding both of them and like making out with each of them, like at the same time. <laughs> and like, they'd be like, oh my God, you're making out with her. And then he'd, they'd be like Archie. And he'd be like, I'm sorry, Veronica. I haven't been attending to you. And then he'd start making out with the other one. And I was like, okay, this is a certain point where it's not like a, will they, won't they love triangle. It's like this guy guy is like basically trying to initiate a threesome between these people but he's not telling the two girls he wants that to happen i thought we were supporting he's, alternative uh lifestyles <laughs> he's not very smooth about it this is a very polyamorous, polyamorous. Uh, targeted book it would it <laughs> it's was, very polyamorous but it wasn't consensual so can't really support that i mean they're also <laughs> in the blood play apparently so that's a thing they, also, the predators seem to be in love with Betty, and I didn't really explain why. It was just like the predators yeah, in love with just, Betty. Ugh. Haven't you seen Betty, Jamie? I mean, come on. Literally, they the all look the, the same. Predators Matt. like Betty's, the, and like Veronica's even like Betty. We all know you're the prettiest. I'm like, do we? She's just the blonde version of you, listen, and you're dark-haired version of her. Listen, I've scoured the Predator Wikipedia for hours, and <laughs> we we Predator fans all know about the raging hormones of teenage predators. <laughs> <laughs> they do not draw distinct xenophobic borders amongst any species because they get real riled up. See, I was thinking, I was like, maybe it's like he has a heart of gold on the inside, but he's not very good at expressing himself, so he just murders all her friends and then tries to kill her also. Yeah, I don't know. I just lied. <laughs> I don't they know do if that's true. Though, he is a teenage predator, which was amazing. They were like, it's worth noting, this predator is teenage. I'm like, so? <laughs> well, so you can hang out in Riverdale. It makes it okay. He's killing the same age group. Some of the daddies. 
He's ripping out the spine of the same mage. It's all good. <laughs> he has no defining characteristic besides the fact that he is a teenager. And then at the end, he's like, Betty. And I'm like, I guess he was in love with Betty, too. Wait, wait. Do you know how we knew he was a teenager? All of his emotions were told through emojis. Yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I kind of like it. Because I'm very bad at reading emojis, so I was like, I don't know what half of these things yeah. are supposed to be meaning in this context. So it's for some... Wait, the- can we discuss... Hmm? Wait, no, I was saying, can we get us dust the violence for a second? It jumps from one... Wait, I was like yelling that really excitedly. Yeah, the first issue is painfully slow, and then it's just like, okay. Just that last... There it's it like is. stabs through the heart, and then like spinal rippage. Jughead gets murdered in in a candy machine, and one of them's like, it's how he would have wanted to go. Yeah, like, like, these people are the worst friends ever. I mean, like... Sure, I would have. I'd be really cool if my friends were like, "Yeah, this is the way Tim wanted to go," but like, not right after I died. I've definitely wait, Tim. Which, which, what way would you like to go? Oh, Just really? Go. Oh, I've actually planned this out really hardcore. So oh, I talked no. about this with Justin a few days ago because I always tell everyone this. So I don't want to be like an old person in a hospital and die because then it's like you're not doing anything. You're just laying there, and that's not fun at all. And I'm a fun person. So I plan this out where it's like when I reach 80, when I, my limbs start like falling apart and everything, I'm gonna like go paragliding over a volcano and just like drop myself in but it's gonna be on april 1st so there's no body but it's april 1st so you don't know if i'm actually dead because it could be an april fool's in the obituary so then everyone that reads the obituary will be like classic tim and then I'll, it'll be great jesus christ tim wow i think I you'd have to go on the 31st so on the, in the obituary it's published on the first right hey that was the plan I, don't they do like a search for a little while too? Like it have twenty four like, hours or something. <laughs> but if I'm in a volcano, you wouldn't know because my body's not there. But they'd be looking for you. I support See, the plan. The I just know, say you don't know if I'm dead then. Woo. Can I just say that when Veronica noticed that Jughead is dead, she goes, "I always told him the junk food would kill him, but I didn't think it happened like this." Yeah, the, <laughs> the book is very kind of self aware, I guess. If it's what do you guys think? It's of like Dilton? I'm, I'm like you're. No, go ahead. What do you guys think of Dilton? The he. Like his whole narrative in the final issue of being like, no one acknowledges me. Archie gets everyone, and I'm just here. No one still, no one cares. And then he dies. The best part. The best part about that is that he goes, everything is Archie, and I'm like, okay, meta book. But even Archie wasn't even like a main focal port point of the series until the final issue. Yeah, like it was Betty and Veronica versus Predator. Yeah, all, literally. All Archie did was kiss a different girl every two panels and not speak. You know, this book was definitely like a slasher film in comic form, in the sense like it's like a bunch of teenagers getting chased by a monster and dying violently. And that, it was self aware of that too, because there was there was a black girl who was like, "Oh God, we never make it out of these situations." Like, <laughs> that was my movies. favorite part. Of the, like, well, this we're book, out. That book thought it was Scream. It was like it was like the comic book version of Scream. Yeah. Alex DeCampi definitely got this gig because Archie was looking at her Grindhouse series and being like, you know what? She's funny. Let's see what she can do with this. And then they gave, <laughs> were like, funny. you can do whatever you want. Whatever you want. <laughs> so can I just like- say that I enjoyed that whenever they wished on stars, Reggie didn't wish to have sex with someone. He wished for third base. He was like, I'm not going to be yeah. greedy, third base. 
Okay, that actual part was my favorite part of the whole thing because I was like, I don't know how they're going to introduce the Predator so far. So I'm just reading it and then, boom! When you wish upon a star. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, this took a turn for the dark in like two seconds. Tim loved the shit out of this book, guys, because he's like, that's my favorite part. That's my favorite <laughs> no, part. I read it this morning, I told you. It stuck with me. But you, I'm He like, has his death plan. I'm still thrown off by he the plan He knows how he death. wants to go. <laughs> is, that the, is that the demographic for this book? People have their deaths uh, elaborately planned out? <laughs> I mean, like, would you want to go in an unexpected way? No, you want to go out in a way to in- amuse everyone else that's left alive. Oh, my God. That's a really noble thing <laughs> for you to want, Tim. You're not the hero we need, but maybe the one we deserve. <laughs> All I'm saying is that it's like one of those things where instead of like, oh, I'm, everyone's going to be sad about it. They can have a nice laugh. Like, huh, that's how Tim would have wanted to go. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm gonna die with cancer. <laughs> oh, but it's, it's like I'm gonna wait till I'm really old too, so it's not like I'm not gonna live my life. That's both Montana. Montana. Can we talk about how everyone had to like get killed in a little bit different way? Like they almost implied that like you were gonna get your head and your spine pulled out, but then everyone kind of got a different version of it. Like Dilton's face skin got removed. Oh, he eats but his it. Glass was still on. That was erotic. That was very erotic. I was like, man, <laughs> Predator, you peel off. that face off. I'm into it. And once again, his name is Matt. He is single. <laughs> I, I mean, I was wondering how on earth you could rip out someone's head and spine without breaking any, like, either of those things, because they're connected to so many things, you know? No. I'm pretty sure that's, pretty sure that's how, how it happens in the Predator films, too. I haven't seen those, so I, I can't say. Yeah, that's actually part of the Predator. But it's weird that it was like he was just like, his killing made no sense. He'd like just kill and then... He's a teenager. He doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, oh, okay. well what, they, what they do say is true. The Predator is like a samurai type alien species that like requires honor or whatever. And basically, they will only kill if they are engaged in combat. But in this book, that's interpreted as if you have any kind of weapon whatsoever, he will just sneak up behind you and take your head off. Yeah, it's like the Krampus, but with this... <laughs> Like, I don't know if anyone saw Krampus. It was a great movie, and I highly recommend it. I had really good audio editing. <laughs> I heard Just I saying. heard people loved it. It was so good. The base concept of the movie is, like, this family has, is not celebrating Christmas because they all hate each other. And so the Krampus comes to punish them for not having Christmas spirit. And he essentially kills them all and sends them to hell. Tim, I'm going like, to stop you there. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> You're mistaking it for Christmas with the Cranks starring Tim Allen. <laughs> oh, that movie hurts. Zing. Great. Guys, you didn't like that one. Oh my god, he's I don't insulting like your taste. Trash. I I publicly watch a lot of trashic movie, trashy movies. You like what that Nicolas Cage movie, Ghost Rider, 2, Ghost Rider Two, Punisher Two. You watch Ghost Rider Two? Uh, have you not seen when he's peeing fire? Uh, hello, dream come true. That's an allegory for an STD. <laughs> Also, that's an allegory for STDs. I mean, I'm sure if you're lucky enough, you can get a kidney stone and you'll feel like what it feels like to... <laughs> if he's fire. lucky enough. Yeah, if you're lucky enough. You'll I mean, have that. Enough. I'll pray upon a star you can... for a kidney stone and third base. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're, you'll love that. You'll love... Yeah, that, yeah, now that you mention it, Jamie, like he was such a horn dog the whole time and he was like... Like he was, a, he was so into the whole sex thing the whole time for his character. That was his trait. If the other girl was like bagel girl, this is like sex dude. And he was like the whole time. And then he goes for third base only. Back to you, Matt. Only third base. 
He's uh, afraid of his virginity loss. He <laughs> clearly can only go to third base. He clearly has never had sex. The way he talks about sex, like that's not the kind of person's had sex. People who walk mm. around and are like, hey, sex. They don't have sex. But look at that. So the fonts from so Happy hungry. Days. Hey, He's sex. With their face. Maybe he was the predator all along. He, Sexual he's, predator. He's a teenager. I wonder what predator's type of third base is. Is that the like real metaphor here that teenagers are predators? Question of the day. Ooh. <laughs> Tweet at us. Hashtag question of the day. <laughs> Hashtag teenage predator. <laughs> how about the uh, how about the scene where this happy happy diner guy gets his head blown off and Jughead still eats the cake? <laughs> that was so sad, but really funny to me. Also, they responded to that in the weirdest way. They were just like, "Okay, everybody, go to like hide." I'm like. No one's crying. No one's terrified by it. They're all just like, okay, Death Con 1, go to the storage room. Yeah. Like, Daddy, you're covered in blood. He was sniped. Wait, can we also talk about the a fact that fun. Veronica was always covered in blood? Every death scene, she was the one that got coded in it. Like, <laughs> and, then she, and then she talks about it. She's it? like, why am I always covered? She was karma. Now, wasn't she wearing like a white like dress, karma. which implies vir- virgin- virginalistness? Oh, Veronica is not a virgin. No, Betty, she right? She was pretending to be a virgin by wearing Sabrina's like white dress. And yeah. then at the end, she dies. And she's like, Betty, we always knew you were the pretty one. Go live. And she's like, no, I'm taking you with me. I like your impression of that character. It's very good with the wind. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about God with the wind. Batman and Robin, that's coming up. Uh, no, but like, I I always thought, it, I thought it was so funny if she kept getting sprayed with blood. She's like, why is it always happening to me? I'm like, shut up, Neville. You can, you can tell what, you can tell <laughs> what, what happens to you. You can tell what people the, enjoy slasher films. In the story. The clothing competition. Also, was the thing with the... Was the predator actually linked to like that temple that she went into with the knife, or was it not? I don't think so. I, I believe that the point of the knife was that it would resurface and give the predator an excuse to kill other characters. Yeah, because they kept so they really just smashed two things together. Yeah, because she's like, I kept trying to get rid of the knife, and it kept coming back. I'm like, well, a, you didn't do that. B, what, what? <laughs> it just keeps coming back. It was also used as a as a as a you know MacGuffin to kill the predator. <laughs> Did they even I would like to know as well, it? whenever they have the fashion competition, that like Veronica almost wins and then Betty shows up and Archie's like, Betty, you look hot. And they like almost have sex like on the sand. And then Veronica gets pissed and then he falls on top of Veronica and then he almost has sex with Veronica. Like, I'm like, go to a different place before you like start making out with this person. Isn't that common decency? I was a teenager once, but still. And he almost <laughs> drowns because they're on the tide pool right there. <laughs> Bigger problems. I don't think I've ever had that much teenage hormones that I'd be like, I'm going to die for this right now. <laughs> it is worth it. Hey, I can drown, but I'll be girl. happy. Hmm. Really makes you think. Does. Do you guys recommend this book to people? Uh, I recommend it, but I'd also recommend you have like a stiff drink with you or maybe maybe a nice joint. I say definitely. I this was fun. I liked it. I mean, because I have a really weird sense of humor, so I appreciated that it was very out there and strange and made no sense. And I liked that they threw Sabrina in there, but then I was heartbroken that she was killed very quickly because I loved that show and I loved that comic. But whatever, I can get past it. I'm only slightly bitter about it. But all in the whole, it was fun, disturbing, and I was not expecting it to go from like zero to 100 that quickly. But hey, I liked it. I think it might have been better of just one, maybe like one shot, like Archie vs. Sharknado. Sure. That is a a book. Yeah, that is a book. Sure. That would have been better. I didn't really enjoy it. 
You just sound so <laughs> sad, realized, Bob. Yeah, Bob, this is this must have been Bob a- never really spoke the entire section, actually. I just realized that I didn't notice it. <laughs> I spoke a little bit. I sang Reading Rainbow. And- you did when I was giving the plot summary. Bob's really busy thinking about third base. All right, Bob, let me ask you a question. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the book? I liked when he killed people, but <laughs> I didn't get How much like do you hate these characters. I didn't get like why it was so random and why he'd disappear and come back. Like I don't, there was no. Uh, <laughs> he was a teenager. Ugh. There is no reason. It's to screw with them. Isn't that true of life? There is no rhyme or reason. Everything just happens. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Story like of my I, teenage I would, predator I would, life. If I was to kill someone, I would totally do it that way. Like, keep leaving and coming back just to screw with them a little bit. Like, scream style, so it's really meta. The gentle release A lot of, of death. the stuff that has happened in this book, Tim has thought about before. Tim, yeah, I'm, I'm really getting really, yeah, really weirded out about your thought presses on life from this conversation. <laughs> Wait till you're in my head. <laughs> you're getting weird from Tim? Can of worms. You have no say to be weirded out by Tim, Matt. Matt, you said thought presses. <laughs> what? Uh, I'm just, as CEO, I felt I needed to point out that you said thought presses, not thought process. I meant thought, or thought processes. Oh. <laughs> Don't correct my grammar. Don't correct Tim's lifestyle. I hope you Ooh. enjoyed my impression Phil? of Justin Alba. <laughs> oh, Phil, yes. What? What did I say? <laughs> I said I said Phil because I wanted Phil to tell us if he would recommend this book to people. Well, oh. if anyone enjoys the slasher genre of film, or I guess comic or book, this is definitely up your alley if you were a gore porn type of person or you know anything like that i would definitely recommend this book otherwise if you have gentle sensibilities (laughs) perhaps not and i guess i have gentle sensibilities because i wasn't crazy about the book you poor little butterfly (laughs) one one day i'll take flight (laughs) over you jamie I would kind of say a similar thing because I would say this book is really, it was enjoyable to me because I love stuff that's crazy, but I would say it's only for the kind of person that takes pleasure in the absurd. Like if you don't enjoy something that's over the top and spoofing a genre, you won't like this. But if you do, this will be the best thing you ever read. It was unashamedly what it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best compliment you can give it. (laughs) So we saved the best for last, and the best is, or the worst, is Batman and Robin Boy Wonder. So this selection was given to us by Bob, who hasn't liked anything really so far, so I'm hoping he liked this. Bob, tell me why you like this and what it's about. Well, like is a strong word. It's entertaining. So like I said before, I kind of just stumbled upon this because it's regarded as like a horrible characterization of Batman and it's done by the famous Frank Miller and art by Jim Lee. So obviously this book was big press when it came out and whatever the mid 2000s and it took three years to do 10 issues and it's all-star Batman and Robin and it's pretty much about Batman having some sexual relationships, sees Robin, who he's apparently been spying on, and sees his parents get killed and then just kidnaps him and makes him be Robin. And if he defies him, he just slaps him and then he questions Robin's simple questions of just why are you doing this with another slap or something. So it's pretty much Dirt Man and Slap Boy, like I said before, and they're weird, abusive, kind of a an appropriate BDS um, relationship. Whoa, whoa. Don't kink shame me, bro. I'm not kink shaming you. It's a pedophilia that I'm kink shaming. 
bro. Thank I, you, Bob. I was tempted to say don't knock it before you try it, but I was like, mm, I'll hold that one. <laughs> let's let's knock it before we try it. <laughs> oh, and there's also weird. So, sorry, there's also like weird. There's like a weird Catwoman subplot, weird Batwoman or Batgirl subplot, and a very strange. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's her name? Black Canary. Black Canary. Vicky Vale? Black Canary? Black Canary thing, yeah. I don't know why those are even in the book, but they are. Black uh, Canary and Batman have sex with their masks on. Oh, yes. It's sexy. Latex. Story of my life. Latex. Alrighty. So <laughs> it all comes back. It's harder to get off in the rain. <laughs> That's where I come in. Wait, Tim. What Feels was like that? skin? Remember they said that in the sunstone? They're like, it's harder to get off with water. Well, it was raining when they were having sex. I, See? I'm going to defend the shit out of this book, okay? Well, you... <laughs> You die for this book? I mean, I wouldn't die for any book. <laughs> Not but, even the but Holy if, Bible. But if you had to pick one, it'd be this one. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, and this is the book I would probably like. Instead of having someone read out of the Bible or something at my wedding, and have them read out of All Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. <laughs> Your eulogy will be. Tell me this. more. <laughs> Tell me more. Phil. Oh boy, this is this is really difficult to elaborate on. Well. I asked is the favorite part when the book begins with the most shameless scene of objectification I've ever seen in my entire life? Well, or was it the scene in which Batman slaps a 12-year-old child after he watched his parents get murdered in front of his face? Well, that's where I'm going, actually. Was it Which one of those was it that got you the most? Okay, which part are you asking? Are you asking the part that I want to have myself married to or actually defending the book? Because I don't know which I should address. Defend, defend the book. Oh. I'd be interested to hear you defend the book. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's important to look at this book from an abstract perspective because up to this point, Batman is the most popular character in all comic book mediums and the mythology is held sanctosanct by fans. And I look at this book and I see it as a hyper, a hyper exaggeration of where mainstream comics were going at the time because uh, the extreme chauvinism, the extreme sexism and the weird... I mean, this has become apparent with Frank Miller's writing, even by Dark Knight Returns, but this attitude that um, that being a superhero or a vigilante is normal, like it normalizes the behavior. And this book takes that and just kind of highlights how ridiculous that is and how ridiculous it is to have a, like a child sidekick. Because this Batman's fucking crazy. He's absolutely nuts. And I think, I think that becomes more apparent as Jim Lee draws more ass shots of Vicky Vale throughout the book that... This is this is directed as meta commentary at the teenage male readers who were reading that book at the time. And they were so pissed off because it wasn't The Dark Knight Returns because that's what every Batman fan, that's their Bible. So I think this book is a clever trolling job. <laughs> I will say I want to now mention since we're officially here that there is a shot or a image that is in the second issue, I think, that is literally just Alfred is naked, basically, and he's ripped, and Vicky Vale faints in his arms, and it's a literal Gone with the Wind reference. <laughs> there is no there's no translation. She just faints in his arms like Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I literally made that note in my book, Weird Ripped Alfred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and why is Alfred ripped? Because, again, this is just this hyper-sexualized... Same thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's like what the book is about. And I think people take it for face value too often. Because this is not your average Batman book at all. (laughs) This book's fucking out there. I would say I think it's like a fine line because I couldn't tell. It was like I could never quite be honest if about whether or not this was tongue in cheek or it was real. Like I was like, I feel like you're ramping this up to a certain point. It I mean, it felt like the kind of thing that Frank Miller would write in two thousand five almost. It felt like the thing where it was like, This is what you want. 
fuck it. He's like, here you go. I'm going to paint the whole house yellow. <laughs> yellow ice cream. That's the best part yellow of the book. Fucking mouth. Yellow everything. Eh? <laughs> Just like that. That's how it felt to me. Like It felt like every scene, Frank Miller was like, fuck you. Here's Batman. Like Batman was like Will Arnett in the Lego movie. <laughs> like there was no there was no difference there. This was the same person. I could see the voice, yeah. I mean, this is a man who was the titan of the comic book industry in the 1980s and 90s. Like if if not the top, then second from the top from with Alan Moore, right? So this is a dude who published the arguably the most influential or second most influential book ever in The Dark Knight Returns. And instead of curtailing to the demand of of making more things like that book, it's like fans of a band who love the sound of that band and the band changes the sound and everyone gets mad. It's kind of like I said, he's kind of pulling this big troll job and whether or not it's deliberate or not, I think is irrelevant because literature is always kind of the interpretation of the reader. I think it's a clever troll job because like it is, it's just, it's everything is on steroids and dialed to a hundred. So you think this is like the 808s and heartbreaks by Kanye West from Frank Miller? <laughs> I guess that's one way of putting it. <laughs> Frank Miller is Kanye West. <laughs> Except Frank Miller is. Yes, that actually makes perfect sense to me. I would say it's not hard to get there to me at all. <laughs> would you say the life of Pablo is the holy terror of music? <laughs> um, Frank Miller, Good. the person, we that's I think that's separate from his works because Frank Miller, the person, is like a fucking <laughs> crazy, sexist, racist, belligerent asshole. Yeah. Wait, really? I didn't get that from this book. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard to believe, but... <laughs> and I believe that's Matt's profile picture. I'm sure it's underneath there somewhere, but I didn't see it between all the ass shots. <laughs> it's I was only them. looking for ass shots. <laughs> it's between the ass cheeks. Also, perfect boobs. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing to take away from these except, books, perfect boobs or except not perfect boobs. maybe a cup size bigger. Well, I want to talk about Black Canary and how... When she's introduced, the thing that does not get her quote about her terrible life is that all those people are catcalling her and calling her love chunks, but that she <laughs> is obsessed with Batman. She doesn't care if people call her love chunks all day. Whatever. She's Irish. She doesn't care. <laughs> she drinks. She gets it. What really gets her is Batman. Batman's just, he he gets her. I'm not going to touch that woman. Well, that, well, the thing about Batman. <laughs> he gets her. He gets her all wet. wet. There you go. Yeah, there we go. They go out in the rain. Yep. Well, the thing about Batman is, I think it, this book just takes him and dolls him to a hundred. Because, like, as an abstract, James, he was—I mean, especially during the Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams era—he's basically James Bond in comics, going off with fucking Tally Al Ghul and having hairy chest and going to Saudi Arabia and doing whatever the fuck he wants. And this book takes that and you know, really, ex- like, exaggerates this male power fantasy. I think. I agree with Phil there is that I I will admit I think this this book is really it's it's not very good but it is exactly what they made it out to be like if you look at Dark Knight Returns it's Frank Miller's uh answer to society at the time of the 80s and then Dark Knight Strikes Again it is uh post 9/11 fever dream political cartoon. He wrote that while while 9/11 happened and you can see it in the art because he lived in New York at the time and when 9/11 happened his art becomes more erratic and it, it's it's more you know genuine artistic expression as it becomes this you know like you said like a fever dream as everything just feels you know manic and frantic. 
Yeah, and then as a follow-up, you get to see... I don't even want to touch Batman Year One, because that's the most perfect Batman book of all time. That's in a whole other opinion. But uh, All-Star Batman and Robin is really, as Phil's been saying, it's a, a book dedicated to the demographic of Batman fans, a 12-year-old hyper-male fantasy of extreme violence, extreme muscles, extremely sexualized women. Everything is dialed up, and it's all... And it's not good because most people wouldn't expect that. But for me, uh, especially recently, I went to go see the Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. And I was like, this is all-star Batman. This is awesome. I was like, this is this is my teenage fantasy come true. And that's really what I got from all-star Batman and Robin. It's the teenage boy fantasy. And if you don't like it, it's really made for one demographic, which is kind of shitty, but it's what it is. And that demographic largely hates it because it's not their Batman. Oh, it's my Batman. But... I just want to say that this book begins with Vicky Vale being described as a gadfly, which I had to look up, but that means an annoyance. And I like that Vicky Vale, she asks the hard-hitting real questions, which is, if Superman is the Man of Steel, then what does that mean his dick's like? Yes, I had that question as well. I think that well. is a question that I have been asking myself for at least 10 years. Do you think he only gets half so, job? And if so, is it harder than most men anyway? No, I think what the real weird thing about that question is mostly that she implies she like is like, is it harder than usual? I'm like, do you prefer it to be like solid steel? Like, is that what you really want to shove up your vagina? She almost seems like she's like, she wants that better than a fleshy dick. Don't forget quotes like I'm having a date with Bruce Wayne. How cool is that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she keeps repeating it. I love it when she goes. She's like, like she's like, they get Superman, we get Batman, but you know we have Bruce Wayne. She's like, Bruce Wayne sex on a stick, but Batman disgusting. I hate bats. No, that's again, called reporting. If you look at the demographic, which is like Miller's really kind of, I think he's making fun of teenage boys because I mean the way that women are treating society are kind of. I hope they're heavily objectified and. What's uh, even weirder though is she's actually kind of a good reporter. Like at one point she's like, "These cops are trying to murder him," and she like takes the car and like drives around and takes pictures. So like I don't know which side she's on. Is she like in the stupid long run, she cares and objectified, about her or is she smart and reporting? I get what you mean. Like it's inconsistent. She just yeah, wants that sex on the stick and the story. Point. She wants the sex on a stick and a story. Also, and... But then again, I would say that could be the ultimate critique that's like, she's sex on a stick and stupid while at the same time having to do everything the male action heroes are doing. Yeah. Since we were talking about Superman and sex, there was actually a really well-publicized essay written by Larry Niven in 1969 called Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. And it very much covers the weird ideas of superman sexuality and how that would work because can you send this to me <laughs> yeah can you send that to me too yeah I and guess. i also want to say that don't forget the best line in this comic book run like the first like 10 issues that we read officially for this is when wonder woman yells at a man get out of my way sperm bank yep. <laughs> that was epically amazing and she gave a whole speech like it was like completely and i think that going with what you've been saying about like how it's the over the top thing is like the over top version of feminism like sh- that was great and she and superman's forbidden love that was amazing just um, this book my is my favorite line from her was the words on the door speak a lie men always lie <laughs> i was like Oh my god, I love exactly. this. She's so angry. It was amazing. This this book is like oh. Mad Max Fury Road in the sense that it's nonstop, never ends, but a lot worse. 
I also really loved the woman who <laughs> went on a date with the Joker and then had sex with the Joker. And she was like, what's your name? And he was like, I'm the Joker. And she's like, that's funny. There was a guy named the Joker. She's an attorney, by the way, who does social justice issues. Who poisoned the water supply? Are you that guy? And he's like, I am that guy. And she's like, crazy. And they had like a conversation for a few more minutes before he murders her. Like, she's not even perturbed by that. She's like, we just had sex. I didn't know who you were. Oh, you're the Joker. Cool. Tell me more about your life. And he's like, I really love you. In a creepy way, and she's like, "Cool." Hey, Matt, have you ever had any kind of post-sex, post-quatus conversation like that? Sadly, I have. Sadly, I have. I don't. I won't go into detail, but I. There's a lot of girls missing in the town that Matt's from. Yes. Change the name to protect people you love <laughs> in a special way. Matt the Ripper. I I often call myself the Joker post-quatus <laughs> program. Because they're so disappointed that it was a your performance was a joke. No, because oh, I'm laughing and they're crying. Oh, that oh. was dark. That was dark. That was I'm, dark. That I'm was really dark. upset by that. Yeah, you took that too far. Just kidding. I liked it. <laughs> How do we recover from this? This is all my fault. I opened up this can of worms. It was your fault. You know what? Just go with it, man. Easy. Guilty living. pleasure podcast, guys. Guilty pleasure. <laughs> Guilty thoughts. Exactly. I wonder what kind of people we're going to attract on this one. I wonder what kind of people That's are going to comment question. and review being like, please remove this person from comics first. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Dodd. Like, Matt D-O-D. seems to have a lot of problems. <laughs> I, this, it's prob- this podcast is actually my therapy session. <laughs> Matt, what's your Twitter so that people can harass you? Uh, you can find me at, at Matthew P.L. Murphy and listen to my disappointing tweets about hating children. Transparency is important. <laughs> the only thing we haven't talked about at length is Robin. And we have kind of talked about the only other thing I ever wrote down to talk about was what was the purpose of this book? Robin, go sleep in a cave. Eat some rats. That's about it. <laughs> to show that tough love works. I think I think, the, I think that is the point. I think the point of Robin in this book is to again kind of characterize how r- ridiculous it is to have a male ward be a psychic superhero to a eccentric, insane billionaire who dresses up like a bat and beats up poor people. <laughs> who he loves doing it, by the way. He literally has he an entire. Fu- the first page spread was the list of terrible things he's done to people, and he goes, "What a great day." It's like, what a time to be alive. After him and Black Canary like, beat actually, up all like, those... It's literally like, it's like Apocalypse Now. Like, I love the smell of napalm in the morning, but like, like with less irony. Yeah, it's like, I love the smell of testosterone from myself in the morning. Even after, like, they beat up all those I people, the him and Black Canary have sex. in the morning. Well, he's the goddamn Batman. Ba-boom. I don't even think he... <laughs> I, was like, I didn't know this. I Googled this. Apparently, that was the first time people ever said the goddamn Batman. Oh, yeah, like, because... That was the first time people said that this book I had was a feeling it was that that's why i wrote it down this book was panned i mean everyone hates this book because one one audience expected dark knight returns because i mean frank frank miller had a a, a reputation as a, a good writer i mean his daredevil his batman and his sin city were heavily praised for a reason ronin but then he started and then you know in the 2000s people didn't like his work and this book everyone hated it by issue one you guys remember when i mean uh, did you did you read issue one yeah, I I didn't like it. Do you guys remember when Robin asked Batman if he was queer? <laughs> yes, yeah. I was like, this defines this entire relationship. I was really hoping he'd be like, "Yeah, I'm queer. What you gonna do about it?" And then slap him again. There. <laughs> and then Robin calls him daddy. Oh wait. Oh boy. Back to Sunstone. <laughs> or back to Archie, I guess. In every book, also Batman. Oh, what was the other thing that was gonna say? It was like something like similarly about the queer. It was like in almost every other book. 
Robin asked the same thing of him again. Oh, damn it. It's going to kill him now. Okay, one thing that really bothered me in the last issue was Gordon talking about his, like, solitude place. I don't know what you guys know about Chicago, but he goes, I like to go by Cabrini Green at 2 a.m. for my solitude. That's a project area where people are were like murdered regularly in the 80s. So it was like, that's your solitude? Well, that's oh, like... But that's the point because Gordon's gritty and real. I'm like... <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be gritty and real. I, I mean, I think that's what it's satirizing. I think that's... Yeah, that's... I mean, I understood where he's coming from, but I'm like... Caprini Green? Really? There's no other place you could go that's gritty in Chicago? I can name like five that are easily that. There's a lot of places around here that are not. Well, even related to that, whenever, what's her name? Barbara, they introduce Barbara and she's like, never have a cop for a dad, but also I'm really good at bullshitting my dad. And they always like bleep out the curse words when she says them. And then she's like, okay, dad, I'm going to go to my room and read my book. She's like, my teacher's like totally a total bitch. I'm like, is that you being a teenager? I'm like, wow, really? You nailed it, Barbara. Like you did it. I was waiting for future issues where they set up Barbara and Robin and wondering how that relationship plays out. Barbara is so weird in this book. She's only there for a little bit, but she's very weird. I think it's strange having expectations for where the narrative's going to go. Be honest with you, because this book is just (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) I didn't expect Batman and Black Canary to have sex, I'll be honest. I don't know why Black Canary was in the book. Like, of all the Batman characters he slept with before this, I'm like, why Black Canary of all of them? For Batman Dude, that's the point. He's a a sex symbol. She's there for him to She's one of the few that wears a mask. Talia Like, if you really want someone, Catwoman is like the person he's in love with, and Black Canary's like the person. Black Canary like wants to fuck Batman, but Batman's like, oh, fuck you. But like, he wants Catwoman. (laughs) I think in the long run, though, in Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, is that Catwoman's basically just a useless prostitute. Yeah. See, so it's like he doesn't really respect her much anyway. And Vicky Vale was originally a love interest too in the Batman movie. Can we pretend that he respects any woman in this book? Well, no. He respects Robin and himself. Mm -hmm. No one can see you doing the Groucho eyebrow thing. (laughs) And the color yellow. (laughs) <laughs> he loves the color yellow that's honestly think, the best part of the book is the whole green lantern that scene. he that he had robin paint i thought that scene was actually really well written because it was like really unsettling for the most part like it was really yes. funny and then it was like oh this is so funny he's like completely emasculating green lantern here he's like cutting off his balls here making him a total numb nut and then it's like oh he's just pulling his like then boom like almost kills him like oh Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of tying... I mean, everyone's saying things I'm tying together here is that this is like Miller's commentary on the superhero genre and Batman as a character and his... like And then how audiences in general like react and respond to Batman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I was getting from that scene where it's just kind of like, okay, like, there's no way he... Like, Batman would, like, okay, paints an entire house yellow down to, like, having lemonade to, like, okay, come on here. So it's like, I mean, yeah, what you're saying... It, probably that scene validated it for me whereas like other ones i was like i don't know if i fully believe if, if he's making a commentary or if he's just being a dick because it's because it's like it's hard to separate the creator from the creation a little bit here you know yeah sure especially yeah. when they're as um well known and well you know a lot of people know a lot about frank miller at this point so yeah but yeah obviously this book isn't dark knight returns it's not Batman Year One. It's not Grant Morrison's Batman Run. Oh my God! It's. I wish it was Grant Morrison's Batman Run. I mean, imagine if Morrison took this. If Morrison wrote this, I think I'd be more okay with it than if Miller wrote it. I don't know if I don't. I don't think Grant Morrison would write something like this, though. He wouldn't. 
I know. That'd be great. It, it would be great. I'd expect this from Mark Millar. Yeah, that's true. Mark Millar is like Grant Morrison who doesn't get the things that Grant Morrison gets, you know? <laughs> Mark Miller's Morrison without hope. Oh, so sad. It's like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> sad sandwich he's eaten next to the pigeons on the bench. <laughs> so, uh, I think that we've almost exhausted everything. So, would you guys recommend this to people? Yes. I don't know. You can go first. Oh, no. I just said yes. There's no other thing. I'd say yes, just a preference how entertaining and freaking weird it is. Just so offbeat that it's just going to... Because you want to keep reading it because you're like, what the... Like, what is this? You don't know what's going to come out of his mouth and you're... It's like tempting that way. I would say this book should be read by people who are deeply into comic books and are... Like they've read a lot of Batman and maybe have seen a lot of the media of Batman to kind of understand the, the pathos of the character. And even then, I'm not sure. I mean, this is this is definitely it's not even a polarizing book. This is like hated for a good reason. <laughs> but if you're not easily offended and I don't even know. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't give this to like anyone under the age of sixteen. Like this is not a this is not a kid's book or in any way, shape, or form. And it's like gonna it'll warp an idea of the character. Like it's entertaining, I'll give it that, but it's not like what Phil's saying, it's not you need to read a lot more Batman before you pick up this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this book would actually make kind of an inter- we're talking about Grant Morrison. I think this book would make a really interesting foil to the Grant Morrison epic because his entire run in the character is kind of um, a love letter to the 75 year history of the character. And he like really deeply understands like the history, the inspiration of the character and all the villains and everything about that and like what it, how it works thematically and like as as like as like an abstract concept. And then this book is like almost a complete juxtaposition of the opposite of that, like almost like the contemporary reaction of the character. Yeah, I mean, I think I would recommend this book, but you have to be in a good mood. If you're not in like a really high mood at that moment, if you're not like gung ho about life, you're probably not going to like this book because you won't have the humor enough to like let yourself get into the book. Like when I first read it a few years ago, I was like, the fuck is this? Because I had read Long Halloween right before this and I was like, oh, this is not what I want to read. So I put it down and read any of the other issues before this. And so I think you really have to be in the right headspace. And like you said, read more Batman before you can jump into this. And you also have to really like Jim Lee's art. I personally don't. So this wasn't like my favorite book because I don't like the way he draws hair particularly. It's like always really sharp and scary looking to me. But like, and this book is so Jim Lee in the art styling, just kind of like how Justice League is or was. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like this is... It's one of those books where you have to want to take it seriously in a way that it almost doesn't want you to take it seriously, you know? I think I think Jamie really summarized it in the most, you know, um, concise way. This is Frank Miller saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and to go off of that, for my recommendation, I would say that never pay for this book. <laughs> Don't create some form of resurgence around it, implying that there's something worthwhile about it. But if you came up to me and you were like, I just need to read something insane, I'd be like, read this book. Because I think that it's amazing in the same way that some of my 
like when I like I'm about to graduate, but like in college and I have to read some really old texts sometimes and I'm like, how could you even like say that about a person? That's insanely offensive and upsetting. But this book has like enough tongue in cheek about it that I enjoyed it because it was like it was legitimately each page. I hated myself for it, but I would turn it and I'd be like, what? Like what's happening all the time? And I think that's kind of great. I would say never pay for it and never imply that it's great. But at the same time, like this is the ultimate guilty pleasure. Like keep it on the DL, but definitely read it. You got to give him credit, though. Like he was able to make a plot with all these crazy ass ideas thrown in there. Like it's not a good plot, but it's a plot. Yeah, it's like it's like Mm -hmm. he took it's like he took spaghetti and some of it wasn't cooked at all. And some of it was cooked a little. And so some of it stuck against the wall. (laughs) (laughs) But it's clumpy. I want to say <laughs> it's clumpy. I wouldn't say it's a good book. I won't definitely want to say it's a great book, but I think it's a book that is unfairly shitted on because people treat it like it's Batman Odyssey, which is a really bad Batman book where he talks to aliens and Merlin. That's that's Neil Adams, though. That's a whole new breed of crazy guilty pleasure. <laughs> he believes in hollow earth crazy. theory. Oh, man. Now that we've talked about all four of the books, for a big final conclusion, I just wanted to get everyone's opinion on what do we think really makes a guilty pleasure? Is it that they're good, that they're bad, that we shouldn't like them, the genre? What does everyone think defines the guilty pleasure? I think what really defines the guilty pleasure is you're just, you really enjoy someone that, something or some genre that most people wouldn't. Like, I know I picked Sunstone. Uh, another thing I thought about would be Fresh Romance from Rosie Press. It's just a book that no- people normally wouldn't expect from you or expect you to read, but you love it just for the content. Like, everything that's putting out, you, like, you, you can defend it until the end, unless you're Bob. Then you just like, oh, it's all right. My tastes are the best. <laughs> Correct. It's the cream of the crop. Bob, would you like to go taste. next? Uh, yeah, I pretty much agree with what Matt just said. It'd be like someone, like, I think I could explain it better with movies. Like, someone's trying to, not they don't even have to defend it. They could just be like, you know what, I like the Green Lantern movie, or I like the Fantastic Four. And I, it, it doesn't matter that I, I can know it's bad, but that doesn't mean I don't have to not like it. Like, they can just like it what for whatever reason, but they can know it's not made well or written well. So that's what I would consider a guilty pleasure, which I don't think Gem is bad. I just didn't think it was for me. Sunstone was fine, and Archie is the same thing as Gem, in my opinion. Like, it's just not for me. I have a hard time really kind of putting a definitive way of describing what's good and bad, because I think ultimately everything comes down to taste, you know? And so I think we get really quick to judge, like, oh, this is bad and this is good. When I think it all, like I said, it all comes down to taste. I guess in certain ways you can quantify and qualify things based off, you know, technical quality and like in things of that regard. But in general, I think everything really comes down to taste. And I think it, I think it gets unfair sometimes to be, you know, kind of elitist to be like, this is good and this is bad. Because ultimately when it comes to comic books, everything is artistic expression. And then I think in that way, everything is good in its own unique way. So that's why I had a hard time picking a guilty pleasure. But I kind of got the spirit of it. And so we read Archie and Predator. Mm-hmm. Archie versus Predator. And it was uh, it was a trip. I think Thank I you would, for that. I think I would define a guilty pleasure as like 
that book you hide under your floorboards when your friends come over and they want to like look at your bookshelf. They're like, which one are you going to pull out? And you're like, mm, not these. And you storm in your floor. You're like, no, they can't see this. And then when at night you pull out a flashlight and you knock up the floorboards, you're like, gotta read this. And you get under the covers and you give it a look. Hopefully not just Sunstone because that would give a whole different context to that situation. <laughs> but different. like the same idea where it's like, you can't admit to anyone except when you whisper to yourself if you like these books kind of thing. But I wouldn't say all these books fit that. I didn't think Gem was like a guilty pleasure kind of book or Archie for that matter. I was like, these are, I think those are very specific in taste and like you wouldn't have a ton of people that are just like vehemently against those books. Whereas Sunstone, I could see people really hating on it for various different reasons. And then same with Batman Robin. Like, (laughs) obviously we know everyone hates that book. And so I feel like if you were to defend that and say you actually enjoyed that book a lot, you'd get a lot of flack for it. Would you define a uh, guilty pleasure book as being uh, the kind of book that gets you kicked out of a public library? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess that's true. (laughs) It's not what's socially accepted, I guess, if you live in this area I live in. I have a (laughs) side note from what tim was saying i actually have a a whole pile of guilty pleasure erotic comics hidden underneath my bed that my mom recently found while going through my room so that was a a whole situation what's that twitter handle again at matthew pl murphy i talk about erotic he's single ladies are you sure you didn't leave them there for your mom to find oh Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you got me tim what better way of telling her an exploration going back to guilty pleasures i would say that i would define something as guilty pleasure that i don't feel like i could defend to a person if they pushed me on it so for example if somebody pushed me i also love fresh romance if somebody pushed me on fresh romance or gem especially i'd be like well for you to not like this book would mean that you don't think that girly things are okay and that means that you don't think girls are okay in general and also i think it's a really good story so i could give like a lot of examples but if somebody pushed if i told them i liked all-star Batman and Robin, I would have literally no good justification. So I think that for me, Batman and Robin, and I will be honest, I did kind of love it a lot. I think that would be the guiltiest. That'd be the kind of thing that I would never want anyone to think that I liked it because if they thought that, I think they would think differently of me. Yeah. So I think that... They would think that you promote beating children and... They would think that... Women. Exactly. They would think that I was Vicky Vale secretly, which maybe I am, but that's not the point. (laughs) You walk, you walk yeah. around talking to yourself naked with a recorder. <laughs> when I dictate, when I dictated the podcast script this morning, I was naked and I did have a voice recorder, <laughs> and I did it straight into Google Docs. You have caught me. Wait, Jamie, can I ask a question? Did you end that recording by saying Showtime synergy and then just getting dressed? <laughs> So I ended it by being like, I'm going to do a podcast with Matt, Bob, Phil, and Tim. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I think it make a That's good, exactly what I think it make a good point because, you know, obviously I took the initiative to defend this Batman book and I think there's a heavy stigma where it's like, oh, you might be a really shitty person to defend this book because of all the shitty things in the book. But I did anyway. It's fun. We don't think you're a misogynist, Phil. It's okay. Like, you had it's bad okay, reasons Phil. for defending it. So it's like you you were able to defend it on the grounds that it wasn't actually a good book, which I think is different than saying, like, I actually enjoyed reading this book. I, I personally it related to it. Adventure. I personally related <laughs> to it. I, I kind of saw myself as Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you can relate to a combo. a different level. I think that Wonder Woman is the combo of Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne. Oh my gosh. I love when Superman goes, damn you and your Amazon ways. And his rage. 
That entire thing, I did not see them making out coming. I feel like no. they almost like wanted me to see it too. They were like, they were like, "Don't you see the tension here?" I was like, "No, they just hate each other." I was like, yeah. "There is no sexual tension." It was it was the most definitive definition of rage sex ever. Story of my life. It was awesome. <laughs> he pushed her down, and then she made out with him, and then she was like, "Damn, it's Superman." And she's like, "Bye," and she just leaves. So, how would you rank the books personally on a personal basis? Out of curiosity. Good question. I think I liked Archie the most. That's because I'm weird. And I like when people die in absurd fashions, as you already know from this podcast. And after that, I think probably Batman and Robin, because I was able to laugh at that a lot also. And then probably Jem, because I really liked Pizzazz. That's a character right there. And then... Probably Sunstone after that, only because it was long and it made me dizzy and it got me kicked out of a library. So it's more. It was hard for you to read. (laughs) There was a there was there was an adventure to try and read this book. Society didn't want me to read this. It was forbidden, the forbidden fruit. But I did it. I read this book. I went for it. Tim wins. I found Tim wins this podcast. He invested himself in the guiltiest pleasure of anyone here. I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> so what's under your bed again under the floorboard <laughs> oh. oh man i think i can give a list so i'm gonna go before while people still think but i think that i think that gem is still like my number one even though i wouldn't say it's the guiltiest pleasure i would just say it's my favorite pleasure and then i would go Batman and Robin, because that was insane at a level that, like, I could read again. And I, like, vividly remember reading it. Like, everything that happened, I, like, had to, like, text people I knew and be like, listen to this. And they were like, that's crazy. And I was like, thank you. And the next page came. And I was like, wait, you're not done yet. And then I would say Archie versus Predator. And the only reason why I would say Sunstone comes last is because it was just, like, the one that I thought was, like, the realist. So for me, it was like, oh, this is cute and like a good story. So like it wasn't guilty to me in that sense because like the whole time I was like, yeah, totally. Like weirdly enough, it had the most outlandish concept if you just explain the concepts, but it was the tamest of all of them. Yeah, it definitely was. That's why I put it first. I thought it was the like most relatable for certain. Mm -hmm. Are we rating it on how much of a guilty pleasure it is or how much we liked it? The original question was how much you liked it, but honestly, you can. Yeah. You can. How much we liked it. You can answer it however you'd like, Bob. Okay. Well, I mean, I picked the Batman versus Superman one, and I'll follow up with number two with the big breasts of uh, Sunstone. Both big breasts <laughs> book. The big pancake breasts. Of I think Sunstone. That, I think that was the byline for They're the beautiful. book. Beautiful. Orb orbs like boobs that don't ever exist. <laughs> Like those orbs that people have in their front yards. Yeah, and I think I might have Oh my to... god, I've seen them now. <laughs> There's like this cake in Japan. Well, they, they're making it in America. I don't know the Japanese name, but it's called Rainbow Cake. And it's like this droplet of water. And it's just water and agar mixed together. And it's it looks like a breast implant that you can eat. Well, what? there's the connection. Guilty pleasure. Took us a while to get there. It's not supposed to look like... It's supposed to look like more of a raindrop, but it looks like a breast implant. Thank you, Bob. Cool story, Look Bob. up Rainbow Cake, everybody. And then, so I guess maybe What's Gem- your number two? No, uh, Sunstone's or Sunstone's number two. Yeah. two. And then maybe, uh, I, I didn't care for either of Gem or Archie, but I'll put Gem three and Archie four. 
based on hate levels. Generous. <laughs> if we're going in terms of guilty pleasure, I'm going to say Sunstone is still my first guilty pleasure because I still have to wait until my entire family is asleep before opening up the latest volume when it comes out. I don't feel dirty reading it, but I do feel really awkward if my mom or dad walked in and be like, well, what are you, why is that girl tied up? And then, what do you feel dirty reading that? Um, I'm not going to lie. I I don't feel dirty reading anything. Hmm. Yeah. That's sexual liberation right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's called acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> Number two guilty pleasure would have to be Batman and Robin, just because I had to go in my store, uh, my local shop, and when I picked it up, they're like, this is awful. You know what you're doing with yourself? And I was like, give it to me. I need it. Do you know what you're doing with your the kid? Don't poke your eye out. And I was like, <laughs> give it to me. I need it now. And then... um. Archie vs. Predator is my second, uh, my third guilty pleasure because I really, the brutal, like, I love a good violent horror kind of aspect to it. And with the whole Riverdale innocence aspect was just twisted and I love it. And I'd have to say Gem would be my fourth guilty pleasure. Not because I just don't think it is really a guilty pleasure. I uh, I got my local store to stock the book and I have every issue, even the annuals. I have no regrets. I'm just not ashamed of it. I would put it in a guilty pleasure for someone like a bro. Like a bro would never be caught reading. For Bob. Book. I'm not a bro. I am yeah, a, now that you put on this show, it would just be I humiliating a, for you to a, admit that you loved it. What's a, up, bruh? A shedding so, gender queer person of outliner hipsterness. Well, bro, uh, I think I think the most outlandish of the books is probably All Star Batman and Robin, the Boy Wonder. Mm-hmm. And then I think the second most outlandish is probably like I think it's like different ways. I would say it's like a tie between Sunstone and Archie. Like one is more violent and the other is more sexual. So like if you're squeamish to one one thing or the other, you know what I mean? It's all relative. And yeah. I, I think Jem is the least offensive and truly, truly not outrageous. Jem is the Jericho of these books. Ooh, I love how you nice say allegory. offensive. You're, it's the least upsetting book. Here. <laughs> Unless you're Jerrica or anyone like Jerrica. <laughs> We're all a bunch of Rios here. Jerrica only wears pink. I just um, note also, ladies, if you're pizzazz, at Matthew P.L. Murphy. Oh, boy. Stop. I, like, Does anyone else have you. anything to say except for Matt? Um, I just hope Matt doesn't get killed by his next lover. That's all. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> What's your safety word? It's, it's very likely. My it's safety word is very likely. Sunstone, of course, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you don't end up like that flashback in Sunstone. That was harrowing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't. I was like, oh, well, wasn't expecting that to happen. I was gonna be like, oh, she died. <laughs> no, it was much worse, and it wasn't played off as funny, so I couldn't laugh at it without being a terrible person. I think. Okay. I think none of this. I think this all pales compared to the conclusion of the Archie book, where Predator becomes Archie. Boom! It all comes down to our original <laughs> that was question. The ultimate reversal. Archie is the what predator. genitalia does Predator Archie have? Tweet at us at Comicsverse. <laughs> <laughs> I think the real I think the real important thing that we learned is that teenagers are predators and that Matt is open to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And Tim has he's got a diary volcano. And Tim knows what's going to happen when he dies. So if Tim dies, know that it was the way Tim wanted to go. <laughs> and or, feel or free to laugh because that was what I intended. That's the whole point. So I'd like to thank you for listening to another one of the Comics Verse podcasts. This has been the Guilty Pleasures podcast. And I hope that this podcast is not your guilty pleasure. But if it is, share it with everyone that you know. Thank you. <laughs>